This is a Triple M Footy podcast. With all the latest news and stories that matter right now in footy, it's Tom Brown's News. Good afternoon. Trade period officially over. The post-mortem starts now. All the analysis, who's won, who's lost. Everyone's got a theory. But it was a busy trade period. 36 players in the end moving during the trade period, including a huge day yesterday, which in the end, most deals got done. It's an overused phrase in trade period, but most deals did did get done. Tom Mitchell got to Collingwood. Jagro Mira got to Fremantle. Josh Dunkley got to the Lions. Lockie Hunter, in a bit of a surprise, got to Melbourne. We'll cover that shortly. Rory Lobb got to the Bulldogs. Oliver Henry, the arm wrestle, who blinks first. Collingwood yielded at about 7 o'clock. Oliver Henry getting down to Geelong. In terms of other ones, obviously, Shackie got to Melbourne. Wiedemann got to Essendon. Francis got to Sydney. Lloyd Meek, not a huge name, but got to Hawthorne as well. So it was a very, very busy day. In the end, the only players that really got left out in the cold, per se, Fiorini didn't move, Radigalia didn't move, Sharp didn't move, Reese Matheson didn't move, and a name that did come up, yes, I'm not suggesting Geelong want to move him on or he wanted to go, but I know that uh, Sam Menegola's name was raised as part of discussions with Fremantle and the Bulldogs yesterday. Just one of those players who's a good player, a particularly good player, that can't obviously in the end of the season or towards the end of the season, couldn't get a game following injury with the Cats. That happens in premiership size. So a massive, massive trade period. This is Tom Brown's News, bringing you the latest in footy every Monday, Thursday and Friday. Here at first on Listener. The winners and losers, always a great analysis post-trade period. I stress that I think we'll only really know in the fullness of time. And it's hard to assess not having reference, obviously, to the draft yet. And we haven't seen that exposed to form. But there's some obvious discussion points to come out of the trade period. Geelong in particular. They landed Henry, Bowes and Bruin all original first-round selections, and pick seven to strengthen what was already a 10-goal premiership side. That's unbelievable. There'll be some discussion about how they manage their salary cap. I read this morning in Jake Niles' article, they've got 17 locals on their list next year. So part of the answer lies in the fact that they develop and attract talent locally, and uh, that obviously helps from a salary cap perspective. They don't have a lot of guys on massive, massive money. Obviously, dangers on more modest money as part of a sacrifice than we realised. Tom Hawkins has taken less money. Joel Selwood obviously stepped out, obviously retiring this season. So they manage their money carefully. Bose and uh, well, Jeremy Cameron, you think, would be the highest paid players next season. So Geelong have just got stronger. I listened to Andrew Mackey last night. I mean, how, how pleased would you be as a supporter having someone like that in charge of your list management alongside Stephen Wells and obviously influenced too by Steve Hawking. They're an unbelievable club. They've only got stronger this trade period. I'll discuss the merits of the salary dump and what stories could come out of that later in the podcast, but there will be some debate about whether the policy was intended for a club like Geelong. Richmond have only got stronger as well, you'd think. Seven-year deals for Hopper and Taranto. Hopper confirming the story on our podcast yesterday, the Dusty it helped him tour when he came through the club a couple of weeks ago. Melbourne is an interesting discussion point. It was like for like, really. Uh, out went Jackson, in came Grundy. Out went Hunt, in came Hunter. Out came Wiedemann, in came Shackey. So Melbourne think short-term, and obviously long-term, Jackson would be a better prospect. But Melbourne think at least short-term, Grundy will help them stay in premiership contention. And it's probably better for their window at the moment than Jackson. So they're obviously pleased with that. Collingwood, a big discussion point. Um, obviously, they've brought in McStay through free agency, Bobby Hill, Frampton as a defender, and the big one yesterday, Tom Mitchell, who's a Brownlow medalist. Graham Wright explaining their football boss post-trade period that they think he'll help from a clearance perspective. 
They've obviously lost Henry and Grundy, both of which didn't feature in the final series. And uh, obviously for comparatively not great picks, 25 and 27. But as far as their contention is concerned, and Graham Wright reflected on this last night, and uh, being in contention, I should say, obviously with Sidebottom, uh, Pendlebury and Howe, all in their twilight of their career, um, they think that bringing in Mitchell in particular, and obviously, as I mentioned, McStay, Hill and Frampton, will allow them to better contend and contend in this window next year. So it's going to be interesting how that works out in the fullness of time. A couple of big discussion points in terms of uh, clubs that might not have gone as well. Hawthorne, a massive one. Luke Bruce will be all by himself in terms of the Premiership veterans next year because Gunston, through free agency and a trade in the end, Mitchell and O'Meara have all left. I think it's more than 500 games of experience. They've brought in Eamon, Meek and Stevens, but the point there is that uh, really... For losing Gunston, Mitchell and O'Meara, they really only brought in 41, 48, 50, a future second and a future fourth. So Sam Mitchell clearly taking his time, going the slow route. They didn't really need to lose that salary cap room. So it will allow them to attract players at the appropriate time. They'll have plenty of spare money. How competitive Hawthorne will be in the next couple of seasons? Well, we'll see. But Sam Mitchell clearly prepared to go young and go to the draft, which is consistent with what he's communicated with the members. St Kilda's an interesting one. Uh, obviously, they lost out on Dugowie. They managed to keep Hunter Clark, and their list boss, James Gallagher, spoke yesterday. He thinks their growth will come from organic growth. They had injuries this year. They also think they'll get improvement from some of their players, and uh, he defended their trade period, which I thought was interesting. Obviously, they brought in Cordy, and they lost Long, just from a player perspective, but it is interesting. I asked them yesterday whether they'd approach Brody Grundy, because we know how how much better they were when Paddy Ryder was in form. They explained that they wanted to go with Marshall in the ruck and didn't think that uh, Marshall and Grundy would necessarily complement each other. So they did think of Grundy, but they didn't go in that direction. There'll also be debate about whether they should have gone for Jordan to go quicker, particularly in that window when the board, St Kilda board, was considering whether to green light it. And uh, there wasn't, it seems, an offer in place from Collingwood at that point. If they'd gone harder earlier, they might have landed to Goey. Look, that's all hindsight, but there will be a lot of debate about St Kilda's relative uh, performance this trade period and what's going to happen there now because Jeff Walsh is the new football boss. He's been very frank about them being irrelevant to adopt his words. And uh, also, I think there could be a little few little changes there as well. I know their list boss uh, wants to be based in Melbourne, has got some links back to Adelaide now and so forth. So there could be a little bit of off-field shuffling going on at St Kilda post to this trade period. The Saturday Rub, Friday Huddle, Sunday Rub, Midweek Rub, Tom Brown's News and all the footy podcasts you need are in one place. Subscribe to Triple M Footy on the Listener app or wherever you get your podcasts. So in terms of the stories to come out of the trade period, in terms from a news perspective, just analysing this, Geelong and their salary dump, Jake Noel reflected on this in The Age this morning. I think the, the AFL will have to look at that. I think the salary dump principle was certainly designed, I think, to help the expansion clubs and obviously um, even clubs like Hawthorne and Essendon that which were struggling and had spare salary space. So it's clearly strengthened Geelong. That's their right. They're a destination club. I'm not surprised they landed Bows, but it's going to be a discussion point as to the mechanics of that rule. The go-home factor was a significant discussion point yesterday, obviously for two reasons. Um, obviously because of this trade period, you had Bruin, Horn Francis, Jackson, Sharp, O'Meara, Henry and Rankin, who all sought trades or got trades in the end. Um you know, the Giants, for example, gave up pick 12 for Bruins. That's obviously a blow for them. And it seems like it's a particular issue this draft as well, particularly, obviously, for the Suns and the Giants. They've got good picks. And they've got to uh, work out which players want to stay and which players are risks of going, particularly with these coveted picks. So Adrian Caruso, who's the uh, list boss, effectively, at the Giants, 
and also the Suns, Craig Cameron. I'll have to work through that over the next month or so ahead of the draft. It's a big discussion point, particularly as I mentioned off the back of Bruin, Horn Francis, Jackson, Sharp, O'Meara. I think he's got a girlfriend back in WA and he's from WA, Henry and Rankin, all seeking or wanted trades back home and got most got them in the end, apart from Sharps. So that's a big discussion point as well. In terms of St Kilda, I touched on that. Obviously, there'll be discussion about their trade period. And also a technicality one, the AFL blocked the super mega trade based on Port not being able to trade a future first and second. Perhaps the AFL could look at some discretion in that regard because it's designed to prevent clubs from cooking themselves. But in this instance, Port was bringing in effectively a number one draft pick. So I think in the, in the future... Perhaps there's a way of uh, working around that, but no doubt the AFL and their list management team will discuss that in in coming months. Bringing you the latest in footy news before you hear it anywhere else. This is Tom Brown's News. And I'll just wrap up with some other stories on my radar. The Essendon Review is heating up. This is the external review that the new president, David Barham, the embattled president, David Barham, got from EY, which is one of the big top four accounting firms. There no doubt will be more changes as a result of that review. Um, the changes were due to be presented to the board in the review this week. Those changes could be informed to staff as soon as next week. They've already appointed a, well, they've already, they'll already seek a new head of development and a new head of high performance to support Brad Scott and Josh Money as a result of that review. Um, I also know that the board are reviewing themselves again, I've been told by sources, because Andrew Thorburn, who was the CEO that was brought in for the best part of 36 hours, I think conducted that board review, and in light of the fact that it's been a little bit tainted, that whole process, they're reviewing themselves again. There's persistent talk at Essendon of a presidential change as soon as the end of the year at the AGM. Paul Little's name has been mooted. He's the billionaire who was the previous president, uh, the founder of Toll, of Toll fame. But uh, it's not really clear on what's happening on that front at the minute. There's also change, uh, suggested change that could take place in their recruiting area. That's not clear at the moment. For the moment, they're obviously focused on the draft and maximising their selections coming up. Another big story to emerge yesterday, and Mitch Cleary mentioned this on our news last night, was Chris Fagan was loosely involved in Brisbane's trade period. Now, we know that Fagan at the moment has stood down. He's spending his time in Melbourne working on his defence in concern of this uh, very serious Hawthorne allegations. But he was in Brisbane's bunker yesterday, and uh, he was sort of involved in the periphery of that process. And I think it just confirms previous reports that the Lions are really determined to get Chris Fagan back uh, as part of their uh, pre-season, um, even pending the outcome of the Hawthorne review. Where is the Hawthorne review at at the moment? The AFL is still trying to finalise the terms of reference of that review. There's lots of lots of lawyers involved. And I also think that Clarkson and Fagan are at least assessing their legal options, their own legal options as well, which is Alistair Clarkson kind of alluded to in his statement most recently. But I think that Chris Fagan and Alistair Clarkson no doubt will be looking in the background at their options as well. No doubt determined to obviously deal with the serious allegations, but also return as quickly as they can. And just finally, there's a lot of movement coming at the AFL in the next couple of months as well. This is an off-field issue, but Gil McLaughlin will get an idea in the next couple of weeks how long he'll stay for. I think it'll be until the end of the year and basically roughly equating with the conclusion of the Hawthorne investigation. There's a vacancy, obviously, with Brad Scott departing recently in terms of being the head of football. They'll look at the structure of that department. There's also big off-field vacancies at the AFL on the commission. There were two vacancies already. 
We know that uh, Andrew Newbold, the other commissioner, is on leave pending the Hawthorne investigation. So there's up to three vacancies on the commission, and there'll be a lot of discussion the next couple of months about appropriate commissioners to come on. I know that there's a lot of support, I think, in Clubland for one man in particular. Uh, there's support, for example, for Michael O'Loughlin to come on the commission. Also discussion about uh, Peggy O'Neill and other people to come on the commission. So that's a big governance issue in the background. That will be a discussion point in the next couple of months. Just some insight yesterday also on how much Collingwood's paying of Brodie Grundy's money. Not from Collingwood sources, from management sources. I'm told it's north of $200,000 and is spread out over the life of his deal at Melbourne. So, uh, But just to note there also, Hawthorne paid most, or a substantial amount I should say, of Mitchell's money. So uh, I commented and made a bit of a reference to uh, climate change. That's net zero for Collingwood. It might have even been accretive um, or positive in terms of the money flow in on the basis of the Mitchell and Grundy deals, acknowledging, of course, they do pay some of Trelaw's money. That wraps up a massive, massive trade period. I'll update the social channels on all the stories that develop over the next couple of weeks. There's still plenty of news bobbing about, but Triple M rocks football. That was Tom Brown's news. Come back every Monday, Thursday and Friday for more and subscribe to Triple M Footy on Listener or wherever you listen to get all our podcasts throughout the season. For Ream Hot Water and McDonald's, Triple M rocks footy.